Amen. You are going to want to turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Matthew chapter 1. And you're going to want to put a pin in it as we are going to read it in just a second. You know, there's a lot of people who simply lack the resolve to genuine, genuinely following Jesus. They'd like to, but to really go all in requires a motivation beyond what they have. I remember working for Enterprise Rent-A-Car and driving with one of our coworkers, and she always said, I, I would always try to talk, and, and I always talk to everybody. Charity can tell you that. I try to talk to anybody I come in contact with. I don't always like it, but I do do it because I believe that God is going to bring in an encounter when he wants the encounter. And so I was talking to her, and I, said, I asked her, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, of course I am. But let me tell you, every day I worked with her, you'd never tell it. You could never tell she was a Christian. And so from that day on, I realized there are these people that call themselves Christians, and yet they're not Christ followers. We can be Christian, but being a Christ follower and doing what his word says gets a little bit more difficult. It can be a little uncomfortable sometimes. And sometimes being that Christian means that we have to swim upstream and sometimes by ourselves. feels lonely sometimes to know that we have to do this. To actually follow Jesus Christ isn't easy. It's difficult. It is truly difficult. There is a great irony in the Christian life. Following Jesus ushers you into a life that is simultaneously the most joyful and most difficult on earth earth. So if you have your Bible in Matthew chapter 1, last week we went over the genealogy and we went over chapter 1 verses 1 through 17 and so we are actually going to continue by going from the birth of Jesus Christ up to verse 25. So that's chapter 1 of Matthew Verse 18 through 25, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he, made, after he had considered this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him what? Emmanuel, Emmanuel which means God 
with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. And we're going to dissect that in just a few moments. So you might want to put your little bookmark in there because we're going to dissect that in just a little bit. But you know, in John chapter 10, 10, it, says, it tells us that Jesus gives us life and life more what? Abundantly. Psalm 16, 11 says that, that in God's presence is the fullness of joy. And in Psalm 84, 10 tells us better is one day in God's presence than 10,000 anywhere else. But Matthew 16 tells us that if we're going to follow Jesus, we must take up our cross and follow him. So we started this series last week on the upside down Christmas. Last week we talked about the genealogy. So this week we're talking about the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph. Although we don't know a lot about Joseph, we're going to talk about who he is and what he's done. I don't know what kind of image it gives you when, when it's said, take up your cross and follow him. I don't know what kind of image that gives you, but in the ancient world, it was not a very pleasant one. Today, we wear crosses made out of diamonds around our necks as a piece of jewelry. Back then, it was a symbol of oppression, torture, and death that caused horror in people who saw it. Imagine with me for a moment. Everybody close your eyes. I think this will be more accurate if you close your eyes. And imagine with me, you go into someone else's house who you just met. You, you've had two encounters with them. Great conversation. They invited you over for dinner. You're headed over there. You walk into their baby's room. They're giving you a tour of their house. They walk into the baby's room and right above their crib. Oh, Right above their crib, you see a little hangman's noose. And then they say it's time for dinner, so they go over to the kitchen table. And as you look above the kitchen table, you see nothing else but an electric chair. Now you can open your eyes. And in the family room, you see a firing squad. You're telling yourself, I ain't staying. And I'm not letting my kids go over there to play. <laughs> Why do they got an electric chair up in their kitchen? That's the image it gives me when I think of take up your cross because it was that symbol back in the day. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if the resurrection is not true, then followers of Jesus are people that ought to be the most pitied in the whole world because their lives are characterized by a cross. For Paul, following Jesus meant suffering, sacrifice, and persecution. It meant living with unanswered questions, dying in many ways as a loser. 
And Paul said, if I get to the end of my life and it's all a hoax, I'm not going to say, oh, well, it was all great, abundant life. Oh, glorious delusion. No, he says, no, if this is all a delusion, then I am the most pathetic person in the world. So let me ask you a question. Does the resurrection have to be true for you to consider your life good? Let me ask that again. Does the resurrection have to be true for you to consider your life to be good? If not, you're not living a life of sacrifice. I say this because a lot of Christians nowadays say, they'll say, oh, even if it's not true, it was still a great life. Paul would never have said that. To actually go all the way with Jesus, you have to have a strong grasp on why he's worth it. This is what you see in Matthew chapter 1 and 2. Matthew shows you right out of the gate how difficult it is to follow Jesus and how Jesus' first followers found the motivation to do so. And by the way, if I asked you to name Jesus' first followers, you'd probably get it wrong. You'd probably say Peter, James, John, etc. But Matthew starts much earlier than that. Check it out with me again. And I have it up here on the screen because I want us to look at it. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, we're only going to look at chapter 18. Or, sorry, verse 18 and verse 19. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. It continues in verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to re divorce her quietly. To divorce her quietly. Okay, so first, let's talk about betrothal. What is betrothal? It was the Jewish custom called Kedushin. Turn to the person next to you and say Kedushin. Now, if you watch Kung Fu Panda, I'm not saying Kadoosh, okay? It's not Kadoosh, okay? It's not the little pinky move. No, it's Kadooshin. Kadooshin. So to make sure you got it, turn to the person on the other side of you and say Kadooshin. Kadooshin. A young man and his fiance would get legally married, but they had to wait a year before they were allowed to live or sleep together. Which has to be, if I have to say, one of the dumbest things, one of the dumbest traditions ever invented. One of the reasons was to make sure the girl was pure. You see, in those days, marriages were arranged. Your parents got to choose, wh got to choose who you marry, which is one of another reason I'm thankful I don't live back then. When you choose a wife for your son back then, 
You'd pay a huge bride of price to the bride's family. Now, if you have a bunch of daughters, yeah. <laughs> you made it good, okay? You just made it good, guys. You made it good. But you see, parent, the parents paying the price wanted to make sure that the girl was pure. So they required a year of waiting before you could live or sleep to make sure she wasn't pre-pregnant or whatever. After a year, that was clear, obviously. It only takes nine months. So then you could live together and have sex. But in every other way, during the betrothal, you were considered to be married. To get out of it, you had to get an official divorce. And well, we know, as we just read, during the betrothal period, Mary shows up pregnant. Can you imagine for a minute how painful and humiliating that must have been for Joseph? What would it have been like to hear this from the girl you just married and haven't even been able to sleep with yet? Joseph, of course, doesn't believe her. And as I read it, I can just imagine in my mind that he's like, oh, right, right. The Holy Spirit got you pregnant. Did he give you a pet unicorn too? I can just imagine what he's going on thinking. But Joseph was, for whatever it was worth, a good guy and kind. So he arranged to break the betrothal quietly. Legally, he could have had her what? Stoned. He could have had her stoned. But it didn't stop there in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for, what, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, what? Amen. Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus. Do you ever wonder why did God do it this way? Why did he do it this way? I mean, it ruined both Mary and Joseph's reputations. The angel didn't show up and explain the situation to everybody. He didn't send out a news bulletin. And yet everyone else from that point on thought Mary as an unpure girl, impure girl. How many of us, just raise hands, how many of us have a yearbook from high school or, okay, we have yearbooks. How many times have we gone through it just to bring up memories of what those days looked like? 
And I, I get a picture in my mind as they're flipping through it. They're like, oh, yeah, that girl. Oh, you remember? oh, yeah, I remember doing all this fun stuff. And then they get over to Mary's face. And they say, oh, 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 you know what she did. Did you know? Oh, you remember what happened? Yeah, what a shame. What a shame. Who knew she had a dark side? <laughs> You know, I can only imagine what is going on in these people's minds. And as far as we know, there was never any clarification or in vindiction until the New Testament was written 30 to 40 years later, which at that point, it was kind of irrelevant. And when Joseph married her, it seemed like he was confessing that the baby was actually his. This pregnancy ruined both of their reputations in the community. Mary didn't get the storybook wedding she'd always dreamed about with her dad walking her down the aisle and all her friends and family present. I know that for many of many women... Your wedding day is the most highly anticipated, expensive, if I don't say, planned one day of your life. It's like having a daughter practice walking down the aisle, anticipating for that special day while all the dads are saying, how am I going to pay for it? Just because Mary lived 2,000 years ago, don't assume that she was vastly different. Her dreams for her own beautiful wedding day were shattered, ruined, not by an angry mother-in-law, mm -hmm. but by Jesus himself. Not only that, eventually they would have to flee their homeland because of Jesus. Is this the abundant life? Why did God do it this way? I think the Holy Spirit is laying out a pattern from Jesus' birth for how people will have to follow him. So I want to give you four elements from Joseph's life about following Jesus and then show you where Joseph got the strength to do them. Joseph is not just an inspiring figure from the past, but a compelling example for the future. What following Jesus looks like. I see four elements. And the first one is trust and absolute obedience. Trust and absolute obedience. Joseph had to believe the impossible and risk everything on it. You look at Timothy in Egypt. You don't do that because Jesus is your preference, but because you believe he rose from the dead. There was also the church planner who left his homeland and his dreams of a prosperous career to carry the gospel to Egypt. You don't go there because you love foreign countries. 
but because you believe in what Acts chapter 4, verse 12 tells us. Missionaries, why do they do what they do? They don't do it because they just want to go traveling. But because you are convinced that Jesus is Lord. His kingdom is worth it and they are surrounded to follow him. And a lot of you make huge sacrifices financially with the kingdom of God. The only reason you will do that is because you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. His promises are true and his kingdom is eternal. In fact, if you struggle being sacrificial, let me tell you why. It's because you lack the confidence in the promises of the unseen God. People who lack confidence in God's promises will throw some guilt money in the plate from time to time. But they'll never give in a sustained, sacrificial way. To be able to forgive someone who has sexually abused you takes a forgiveness that only God can provide. Oprah... (laughs) Y'all still know who Oprah is, Dr. Phil, maybe him, you know? Oprah, Dr. Phil is not going to give you the resources to forgive someone who abused you. That comes only from seeing God's forgiveness is bigger than yours. And God's ability to work all things for good is greater than others' ability to inflict evil upon you. Following Jesus, really following Him, not just playing religious games, meant absolutely trust in the unseen God. Which brings me to my second point, acceptance of a sentence of death. Acceptance of a sentence of death. Mary's out-of-wedlock pregnancy put her under a literal death sentence in Jewish law. Beyond that, Mary and Joseph had to die to their good name, their cherished dreams, their families, and their homelands. God is going to direct some of you to go overseas, and your parents will not understand They will tell you that you're crazy or they'll even try to forbid you from doing it. And you're going to come to a point where you have to make a choice. Do I obey God or please them? And it's going to feel like death. A man by the name of John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Pilgrim's Progress. Spent many years in prison for preaching the gospel in his own country. He says this, The parting with my wife and poor children has to, be, has to have been to me in this place as the pulling the flesh from my bones. I have often brought to my mind 
the many hardships, miseries, and wants that my poor family had to meet with, especially my poor blind child who lay nearer my heart than all had besides. He continues on, if ever I would suffer rightly, I must first pass a sentence of death upon everything that can properly be called a thing of this life. Even to reckon myself, my family, my wife, my children, my health, my enjoyments, and all as dead to me and myself as dead to them. Sounds harsh. And yet I want you to turn your Bible to Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And we're going to look at chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Verse 26. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. It says in red, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I'm not talking about delinquency and being a father, a husband, or actually feelings of hate. God makes you a better one of those and gives you a greater love. This doesn't grow the church. Talking about the abundant life does. Which takes me to my third point. Self-denial. Ooh, yeah, that one's going to hurt. Self-denial. And verse 25 tells you that Joseph didn't know. He didn't know Mary or have sex with her until after the birth of Jesus. Not only did he have to wait a year in betrothal, he had to wait another year. I think that's pretty significant. Following Jesus means denying yourself some things you might otherwise enjoy. We have singles that aren't willing to wait to have sex and they are not even married yet. Joseph was married and waited to have sex because it was the will of God. If you are going to follow Jesus, you have to con consent to do things his way, even if it means denying yourself some things you might otherwise have. We have couples listening to me right now that are not married, but you're living together. If you're going to have Jesus in your life, in your family, you're going to have to do things his way. But thank you, Jesus. We belong to a forgiving Father that covers us with grace. Which takes me to my last point, my fourth point. Willingness to embrace inconvenience. Willingness to embrace inconvenience. Do you realize 
how much Jesus' birth complicated Joseph's life. Messed up his relationship with his family, his friends, his job. Eventually, he had to move and start over. You see, serving Jesus, guys, you got to listen to this. Serving Jesus is rarely convenient. Many of you don't volunteer at the church because it's not convenient. Some of you might even say, well, I had to work hard all week and I've got kids. You know, I looked forward to seeing those conversations when you go talk to Mary. And I can just see Mary like, yeah, I had to bear a son for nine months who wasn't even mine and eventually had to flee the country because of him. So tell me about your story. The people in our church who serve our community don't do so because it's a convenient, because it's convenient, but because they are committed to Jesus. Just about every one of our public school programs needs mentors. They need help. And you might be in the school district. You don't do it because it's convenient. You do it because Jesus has told us to serve the least of these. I know not every ministry is for every person. But do you have a ministry that is inconvenient for you? If not, I'd say there is a really good chance you're not following Jesus to the full potential. Adoption and fostering children is never convenient. Just talk to someone who's done it. If you start doing it because it's a preference or a fad or because you think it will look cool on your Christmas card, well, let me tell you, it'll wear off. You do it for one reason. God told us to care for the ones everyone else has forgotten about. Sharing Christ is rarely convenient. Whether that's reaching out to a neighbor or striking up a conversation with the guy next to you on a plane or at the grocery store. There have been many times when I don't feel like talking to my neighbors. They're nice. I'm thankful I got nice neighbors, but I'll be honest. My myself, I don't always feel like I want to see them. When I see the guy get out of his truck and he walks straight over to me, I know, oh boy, I'll be here a while. That's what I think in my mind. I'm just being real with y'all. I'm being transparent with you. It's hard sometimes to get the nerd and just say, okay, here we go. Here we go. Jesus, speak through me because I don't know what's going to come out. Or maybe you're saying, I'd just rather hang out with your friends. I feel like I'm walking on the streets, like I have too many friends, maybe. Maybe you're already saying I have too many friends, but my pastor said so, so what's your name? Okay, maybe that's you. You know, when I go to the grocery store, I mentioned it in the beginning. I talk to people. I love talking to people. But let me tell you, it would be easy for me to ignore everyone and just get out. But I have to stop and I have to remind myself. And I have to tell the Holy Spirit, okay, I'm yours. 
I'm yours. I'm at least going to knock on this door and start the conversation just to see if you want to take it anywhere. Just to see where you're going to lead it. Yes, I do it a lot, but it's not always easy. If you're going to racially diversify this church, it's not going to be convenient. Getting to know people who are not like you and don't share all your backgrounds take intentionality. We're going to have worship music here that is not your favorite. But let me tell you, it might be someone else's favorite. And you put up with it because you are willing to embrace inconvenience to follow Christ, to follow Jesus. If the defining characteristic you are looking for in a church is convenience, this is not the church for you. I'm going to be completely honest. To become the people of God that God wants us to be takes willingness to embrace inconvenience for the sake of his mission. That's what we are here for. That's why God put me on this earth. That's why God brought me to this church. Our priority is not your inconvenience. Don't think for a second our priority is to make it inconvenient for you. But the mission is of God. The mission is God. It is inconvenient for me to take a stand on what the Bible teaches about the sin of homosexuality. Folks, I can be honest with you. I'm scared of where this is headed in our society. And it would be much easier for me to get up here and just say, it's not a big deal. Let Jesus deal with it. It'd be so much easier for me to do that. It's just a personal preference. It is convenient to teach what the Bible says about these things. But if you're going to walk with God in a world allied against him, we should get used to it. We should get used to it. We will be misunderstood. We will be mistreated. We will be and we will have an ultimate persecution for it. And can you already see it starting to happen in this world? Can you already see what this world is becoming? Four things you see in Joseph. Trust in absolute obedience. Acceptance of a sentence of death. Self-denial. And willingness to embrace inconvenience. So where does the strength come from? To do these things. Joseph didn't have an emotional moment of surrender. This was the beginning of a lifestyle of those four things. This is really important because unless you get this, you'll never make it. Say that right before you boarded a plane for a long flight to Europe, someone handed you a backpack parachute and told you, wear it. Because you know the plane was, and you had to wear it, so. Or if I told you one of your girls 
that over the next year, your waistline was going to increase six inches and you're going to gain 10 pounds. There's no way you'd be excited. In fact, you might be upset with that. I just said that. I don't know. Yet, there are some of you who get news that very thing is going to happen. Six inches, 10 pounds. Yet, there are some of you who get the news that it's going to happen to you and you start to rejoice because it means you're pregnant. You put up with your lost figure and the extra weight gladly because of the joy of what you have. You say, well, it's a lot more than six inches and 10 pounds. All of you have the capacity of sacrifice. It has to be with your perception of or awareness of the reward. Where the strength to follow Jesus Christ comes from, I see two of them. I see two of them where the strength of, to follow Jesus comes from. A kept promise and a remarkable name. First of all, do you see the word? Let me get over here to verse 23. Do you see the word behold? It's the very first word, behold. In Greek is edao. Edao. Turn to the person next to you and say edao. Edao. Sounds like a ninja move. Edao. <laughs> and it's actually a strong word, this word in Greek, edao. It's like saying, look at this, because when you see this, you'll have the strength to do what God is asking you to do. What is he trying, what is he telling them to look at in this? What is he telling them to look at in verse 23? Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So my first one was a kept promise. This is a quote from a prophecy given in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And it's actually kind of a strange one. So let me unpack it for you. You see, originally it was given to King Ahaz in, in Judah in 700 B.C. when the armies of Syria were about to attack and destroy his kingdom. Well, because Ahaz was so wicked and he knew it, he didn't feel like he could ask God for help. So he despaired. Word came through the prophet Isaiah, however, that God was not going to allow the kingdom to be destroyed because God wanted to keep his promise to Abraham. And Isaiah tells Ahaz that God is going to give him a sign of it. Well, unbelievably, Ahaz doesn't want a word from God because then he'll be obligated to do it. So he says, nope, don't give me a sign. And Isaiah says, you don't get to make the rules. Here's your sign. 
God is going to accomplish his purpose whether you want him to or not. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the word virgin in Hebrew can mean one of two things. It could mean a girl who's never had sex, or it could just mean a girl of marriageable age. In this context, everyone would have assumed it meant just a girl, marriageable age. And they would have been, they would have been like a young woman shall conceive. Big deal. Young women conceive all the time. That's like saying the proof of this prophecy is that the birds will chirp and the dogs will bark. And it happened. Someone in Ahaz's household had a baby, and that was the sign. But it didn't seem that impressive. And for 700 years, this prophecy was kind of a mystery in Scripture because it just seemed kind of out of place. But now, through the angel, God says, this is actually what I was talking about. It's not just that a young woman will conceive, but a virgin. The other meaning of that word, a girl who has never been with a man will conceive. That is a little more impressive. And in that miraculous birth, I will deliver Israel from all their fears and fulfill my promise to Abraham. Ahaz was thinking deliverance from one invading army. God was promising ultimate deliverance from all enemies. In that moment, Joseph saw that God was faithful to keep to the fullest all the promises he had made. Brother Rick, would you be able to come and play? The time looked dark. It looked like Israel had been overrun by her enemies. But God took an obscure prophecy and brought ultimate fulfillment through it. So here's what you should see from that. God kept all his promises then. He'll keep all of his promises now. A lot of you will ask, is God really active in the world? How could that, how could what is going on in the world be any more but random? If God is really, if God is really involved in this, why is it all such a mess? Or you are asking about your own life. Where is God in my life? Is God really out there? Is he really active? And I'd be completely honest with you. I sometimes too wonder where God was from the year 2005 to 2008. When I was going through some struggles, I wondered... Where is he? Is he active? 
But here's the sign. Here's the sign. Behold, a virgin conceived. And not just that the virgin-born baby grew up to die on a cross, he placed in a grave, and then he rose again. Some of you doubt God's existence based on the fact that he hasn't done what you wanted. If you asked, if you asked kids to build a case, if I went to your kids and asked them, Johnny, Wilbert, whatever their names are, does your mommy and daddy give you everything you want? What are they going to tell me? No. No. So what kind of case is that? What kind of case would that be? Your trust in God should not be based on how well he has fulfilled your expectations, but based on the signs that he has left for you. Behold, a virgin has conceived. By the way, could I just say this? Joseph was able to have that kind of faith because he knew the word of God. Many of you waver in faith because you don't really know the word of God. The strength of your faith cannot exceed your knowledge of the promises of God. And yet that came to my second point, the remarkable name. The remarkable name. This baby is given two names in these verses. The first one was Jesus, and the second one was Emmanuel. That always confused me as a little kid because I wanted to know, well, which name was he? Was one of them like a nickname? Did people just call him? Did his, did his friends just call him that? What's your name? Jesus. My middle name is Christ, but my friends call me Emmanuel. I've always wondered what it was and why there were two. And yet the first name, Jesus, indicates what he does. The second, Emmanuel, who he was. Oh, Jesus means in Hebrew, God saves. But Emmanuel means God with us. And those two names, Joseph got a picture of the glory of God. The most foundational doctrine of Christianity is that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God, born of a human, Mary, so he was fully man, but he was virgin born. She was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, so fully God. This doesn't mean God came down to have sex with her. He was born as a man because he had to be a man to be our true representative on the cross. 
He lived the life we were supposed to live. He had to face everything we faced and pass every test we have failed and died the death we were condemned to die. He took our place on the cross as our representative. And he could only do it, and he could only do that if he was fully man. He had to be God for two reasons. The first one, the only one capable to save like this, and that was God. The message of Old Testament, salvation belongs to God. God doesn't contract salvation out of some lesser being. The Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses are dead wrong on this point. The whole point in God's creation of us was to have a relationship with us. In the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve every night. Adam and Eve would say, God walks with us. When God led the children out of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt, he did so with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And the children of Israel said, the Lord is before and behind us in Exodus chapter 14. Verse 19, God had them build a tabernacle where his glory came to dwell and they said, God is in the midst of us. As it says in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, Jesus is born and the angel says, call him Emmanuel, God is with us. When Jesus left the Holy Spirit, came on the first disciples, and they said, God is in us. You weren't created to serve a distant God who watched over you like a judge. You were created to love a father and to walk with him like a friend. Do you know God that way? Listen, seeing God as Jesus and Emmanuel gave Joseph the strength to follow Jesus. The secret is that everything that God is asking Joseph and Mary to do, he will do in a much greater sense for them. Like Mary and Joseph, Jesus... God in the flesh would be misunderstood and falsely accused. The religious establishment would despise and condemn him. Like Mary, Jesus would carry about in his body a death sentence from being falsely accused. Accepted. Except he actually would die in shame. Bearing the curse for someone else. In self-denial, he would take upon his back a bloody cross and open up his hands to have nails driven into them so that we 
could be saved. I'm going to ask Pastor Charity and Brother Albert if y'all can come up to the front and we're going to create an, a prayer time. You see, essentially, Joseph is being invited to share in the sufferings of Jesus. Everything that Jesus experienced on earth, you have to be willing to experience if you are to be his follower. And the only way to have the strength to do that is to see that Jesus did it for you and now you can do it with him. The Great Commission at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, 18, begins with, Behold, I am with you, Emmanuel. Matthew, Matthew's book, Matthew book ends his gospel with the word Emmanuel. You have to see what Joseph saw. This promise and name silenced the voices of doubters in Joseph's spirits. The dark voices. I have them too. I'm human and I'm flesh. I have those dark voices. And yet we have to silence them. And God can do that. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus brings both of these themes. The pain of sacrifice and the joy of Christianity together. Treasure hidden in a field. If you lack the motivation to really follow Jesus... To go all the way. Good news. You don't need to strengthen your resolve. You need to deepen your joy. When your joy in Him is strong, so will be your ability to forsake it all. What, what would have happened? Joseph not chosen this route. If he chosen the easy route, not believing the angel, divorcing Mary and cast her aside, married a different girl, guess what? He might have gotten that story, book wedding. He might have got what he wanted. Had a nice little carpentry business, but he would have missed out on Jesus. Guess what happens if you choose the easy life? You choose not to forgive. You choose not to sacrifice. You miss out on Jesus and his plan. Maybe you're actually pregnant out of wedlock like Mary was. And the easy thing for you to do is to get an abortion. What if Mary had done that? I know it's an unfortunate situation. Maybe it's not even your fault, but God has a plan in it. And you'll only experience God's best if you do it God's way. But God has a plan in it. And you'll experience, only experience God's best if you do it His way. Carry the baby to term. Give birth to it and see what God does.
Joseph's life tells you it's worth it. God keeps his promises. Jesus is worth the pain and the shame and the shattered dreams and even death if it comes. And I can only say amen. Jesus went all in for us. What he calls to endure for him, he has endured to much, much greater extent for us. So with every eye closed and head bowed.